Raise your hand if you have questions and doubts about God. See, unfortunately, organized religion does not have the best track record dealing with doubts and questions. Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe your experience was kind of like uh, you were told to conform or leave. Believe what we believe or find somewhere else. Maybe you're told indirectly, stop asking so many questions. Like, what's wrong with you? Just believe. You don't have to have it all figured out. But what if God is big enough to handle our questions and doubts? What if he's not bothered or annoyed by our questions, but he actually invites them? What if it's in our questions that we discover what God actually thinks about us? So let's talk about it together. We all have questions about God. Like, does he actually exist? And Jesus, was he a good teacher? Or was he like actually God in a body? And was he really resurrected from the dead? And what about, like, if there's a God who loves us and is powerful, why is there pain and suffering in the world? And then, what about like heaven and hell and sexuality and science and politics? All those things, we have so many questions. But unfortunately for many of us, we're either afraid to ask our questions for fear of where those questions might lead us, or we might be afraid of what others will think about us if we actually ask those questions, or we haven't been allowed to ask those questions. Usually when we're not allowed to ask questions, it's from someone who's afraid of their own doubts. Or even we're more comfortable asking question after question without actually ever reaching an answer. But as we've seen in this series, God actually wants us to know him. And he wants us to know what he actually thinks about us. So much so that he actually entered our human story. Jesus, God in a body, right? But when Jesus came in a body as Jesus, it was not what the ancient Jews expected. He wasn't the conqueror. He wasn't for their nation. He wasn't about restoring the power of Israel, even restoring proper temple worship. And it confused a lot of people. And so just like today, back then, people had a lot of questions and doubts about who Jesus actually was and what he was about. And so his, his best friend, John, wrote an eyewitness account that actually shows us that God meets us in our questions and doubts. So I want to give a little background of this passage we're going to read that John wrote. So when Jesus was starting his ministry, John the Baptist, a different John, called out to Jesus, saw Jesus walking. He's like, hey, everybody, look, the Lamb of God, the Messiah. And people pay attention because John the Baptist was a pretty big deal back then. And so Jesus gains some followers. And then he starts teaching in, in ways that nobody had really heard of before. He kind of contradicted what the other religious teachers were saying. He said, you've heard it said, but I say, he's taught with like this authority that he could overrule even what maybe people thought Moses was saying. And then he starts healing people. But not only that, he then claims he can forgive sins, which was something that was reserved only for God to be able to do. So to forgive sin was putting, he was putting himself on the same level as God. And so people see all these things and they start thinking, maybe John the Baptist was right. Maybe Jesus is this promised one, this, this Messiah we've been waiting for. 
And then comes the famous story of Jesus cleansing the temple, flipping over the tables and, and getting mad at people that are ruining the temple, people being able to approach God in the temple. And so the religious leaders of the Jews said, we kind of need to check this guy out. Like, we don't really want to get Rome's attention unless this is really the one we've been waiting for. And so out goes a guy named Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Pharisees were Israel's authority on all things religious. They're part of the upper class. They were rich and influential, and they practiced and taught strict observance to Jewish laws. But not only is he a Pharisee, Nicodemus is also a member of the Sanhedrin, which is kind of like if you take Congress, the Supreme Court, and the Vatican and, and wrap them up all into one nice little ball. That was the Sanhedrin, and they represented the Jews before Rome. So Nicodemus, pretty important guy. And he goes and meets Jesus to figure out who this guy really is. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And so he calls him Rabbi, gives him some respect, saying, hey, you are a good teacher. And you obviously are a good teacher. I mean, you've, you're doing things that only somebody sent from God can do, and there's something about you. But then Jesus interrupts him, and he says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And you're like, what? That's, Nicodemus hadn't, he was just saying, hey, we think you're from God, and Jesus kind of pops off with this weird saying, right? Like, this is not Nicodemus hadn't even asked anything yet. It's like Jesus kind of having his own weird conversation out in whoever knows, right? But see, the thing is, Jesus is not being a wackadoo. He's going straight to Nicodemus's real question, his, his personal question of, we think you might be from God, bringing the kingdom of God. So what is that? I'm, I'm skeptical that it's you, but can you explain that to me? See, Jesus accepts every questioner as an individual. He doesn't just give pat answers or canned answers or, or simplistic answers that he just gives to everyone. He treats everyone as an individual and treats their questions as individual questions. And so Jesus takes the real question. He says, the kingdom of God is bigger. It's better than you actually think, Nicodemus. See, it's not about ethnicity or laws or ceremonies or building the Jewish government or building a Jewish kingdom to see God's kingdom, which I know you're really after, Nicodemus, to see God's kingdom, someone has to be born again. Someone has to be born from above to have a radical inner rebirth. And so this crazy answer really fits nowhere inside of Nicodemus's framework, his actual understanding that he's built for himself, how he understands the world, because he understood tangible, measurable religion, right? Following rules, having certain categories of people who are in and out, and being able to check things off the list to make sure you're doing well. So, what do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus is like, okay, that's weird, but I'll bite. Let's go a little bit further. And maybe he asks a dumb, sarcastic question, because obviously Jesus isn't talking about an old man going back into his mother's womb. But see, Jesus doesn't mock him or, or, or take the bait and argue with him. What he does is he patiently keeps explaining. See, Jesus' patience with our questions gives us an opportunity to find what we need. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. 
Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. So Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, the truth that you're looking for, it lies outside of your usual framework. You're trying to fit everything, all of this, into your preconceived ideas. You're trying to understand the spiritual world in physical terms. You need your spiritual senses awakened. You can't see spiritual truth through physical eyes. See, you'll never find satisfying answers to your real questions until you are born of the Spirit. It's not something you can measure or categorize or control. So then Jesus gives an example of a a cause and effect relationship, kind of explaining what the kingdom of God is like. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. This is pre-meteorology. I know Jesus isn't using perfect science and we don't know about wind. But he's speaking in ways a first century Jew can understand. He's saying, look, we can't see the wind. You can't, we can't measure the wind right now. But when we see leaves moving, that's evidence that leads to the truth that there's something moving it, that there's air moving it. But since we can't see the wind, we need to open our eyes and our minds in order to believe it's really there. He says the kingdom of God is the same thing. It's invisible until we open our eyes and consider the evidence around us. It's there. We have to be willing to look for it and accept it. Can't always measure and categorize and chart how God works. And so Nicodemus, being the the smart religious leader he is, he asks a legitimate, deep, and honest question. A, A question I think we all ask at some point. And the question is, huh? How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. See, even though Nicodemus was a respected, well-known teacher, there's something different about him. He's willing to admit that he didn't understand. To find real answers, we need the humility to ask real questions. Because often we we let our pride get in the way of actually finding truth because we're not willing to ask the real questions that we have. So Nicodemus asks, how is there a spiritual change that has nothing to do with keeping rules? That has nothing to do with religiousness or or my ethnicity of being born into the chosen people, of, of being part of the right religion. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish, Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? He says, you're a deep thinker, Nicodemus. You want it all figured out, but you got to get out of your usual framework of your usual answers and your usual ways of thinking of how things have to be. Keep digging, Nicodemus. Keep your mind open to the possibility that there's more. He goes on, he says, I assure you, we, meaning probably Jesus and John the Baptist, tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? He says, we've seen it. We've seen these things, and I've tried to explain it to you in your way, using earthly language, but it's actually bigger than that. So let me try again. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, has come down from heaven. And so now things are getting a little crazy. Jesus is claiming that he's not just sent by God, not like God's chosen person, prophet right now, but he's actually claiming to have come down from heaven himself. So Jesus, especially in Nicodemus's eyes, is either a nut job or he's actually the one he's been waiting for. And so for some reason, 
Something about Jesus makes Nicodemus stick around. And so Jesus gets to his main point in terms Nicodemus can understand. He uses Jewish history. See, Jesus uses who we are to help us discover who he is. And so he goes back to this, this story of uh, Moses' time when the, when the Israelites rebelled against God and, and there was a punishment that came and they were, kept getting these snake bites that were killing people. And so Moses made this bronze, God had told Moses to make this bronze snake and hold it up. And whoever looked at the bronze snake would be saved and would, would survive the snake attacks. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. See, that snake that Moses held up, it wasn't some magical charm or idol or whatever. It wasn't a formula or a behavioral program. The point of that snake was that the people had to trust it would save them. And so Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah, and it's going to be the same way. It's not going to be a formula. It's not going to be a program. I'm offering something better than you think. It's about trust. Four, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Meaning what Jesus is bringing is not just for Jews. It's for everyone. It's not, he's not just a political or military savior, but he's bringing the forgiveness of, and, and he's conquering the power of sin. He's not bringing measurable rules and checklists, but trust. It's not about knowing everything and having it all figured out in a systematic formula. This will be about simply trusting, not blind faith, but a skepticism that has landed on an answer, that has landed on a source, the source of truth, Jesus himself. And so with all of this, with even Jesus explaining to Nicodemus what the kingdom of God is like, God himself explaining it to this follower of God. Was Nicodemus convinced in that, that night? No, there's no evidence of that. Not yet. It probably, my guess, probably sounded too easy, right? Maybe for Nicodemus, it was a little too lovey-dovey that it's just trust, what? Maybe, maybe this didn't seem a holy enough religion for him because he was so used to the religiousness of his day. He, he needed time to think through these new ideas, and that was okay. See, we don't see Jesus pushing or forcing Nicodemus to make a decision right then. But it's also not the last we hear about Nicodemus. See, at one point in Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees wanted to arrest Jesus. But Nicodemus steps in. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. So Nicodemus kind of took a hit there with his friends because he stood up for Jesus. But then we see Nicodemus once more. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen. 
The place of the crucifixion was near a garden and there, where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close, close at hand, they, including Nicodemus, laid Jesus there. Nicodemus is one of the two men that actually bury Jesus, put him in that tomb. See, something had happened to Nicodemus. I mean, think about it. How did John, the writer of this, get the details of that conversation between the Pharisees, where Nicodemus stood up for Jesus? Where did John get the details of how much the myrrh and aloes weighed? The man who had to carry that weight, that 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, Nicodemus. See, John names Nicodemus as a way of saying, you might not believe what I'm about to tell you, that this body that was put into the grave by Nicodemus came back to life. And so go ask Nicodemus yourself. He puts his name in there so people can go back and ask Nicodemus, is this true? See, Nicodemus became one of the witnesses John used as proof of the accuracy of his story. Why? Because Nicodemus saw something that didn't fit within his usual boxes. Jesus died. Nicodemus was very aware that Jesus was dead. But then, three days later, the tomb that Nicodemus had put that body in was empty. And Jesus was resurrected. In fact, 500 people saw Jesus after his resurrection. Most likely, Nicodemus was one of those people. And so you might be, in your own way, asking the same questions as Nicodemus. Is there a God? If there is, what is he like? And what does he want from me? And is he mad at me? And really just just trust that's all he wants? That just seems too easy. Listen, Jesus invites our tough questions and is patient with our honest doubts. So this is your permission to ask your questions. This is your permission to explore your doubts and your permission to be as patient with yourself as Jesus is. And like Jesus said to Nicodemus, it's like the wind. You can't see God, but if you're willing to open your spiritual eyes, you will see the effects of his movements. You'll see his influence all around you. In fact, here's a promise that Jesus' brother gave us. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. And check this out. He will not rebuke you for asking. So ask your questions. Ask them. So this week, ask your questions. Maybe write down, what are my questions about God? At least think through it. What questions do you have about God? We all have some kind of question. So what is it? Be honest about it. What questions do you have about God? And then once you figure that out, you're honest enough, pray this. Say, God, you promised to give me wisdom if I ask for it. So show me who you are. Show me where you are moving and, sh- and help me to be open to what I actually discover. And then actually do the digging. Don't just ask the question and then not look for an answer. <laughs> Choose to prioritize time in your week to discover who God is. But here's the thing. I know that sounds kind of daunting, right? Like, where do you start? You don't have to do it alone. On Cross Creek's website, we have a page of resources that you can dig into and find maybe some answers, or at least find something to start your conversation, start your your digging. But you also don't have to just do that alone. We have connect groups where we ask these questions, where we're allowed to explore and and have doubts and and come alongside each other and be like, yeah, I, I wonder that too. 
And maybe somebody has, has researched it and they talk about it. Or even more, you can join an alliance where you are one-on-one -on -one with someone else exploring questions you have and how that actually relates to your life. All of these are available to all of you watching and listening. You just need to email us and we will hook you up. But think about it. What if God actually isn't afraid or angry of your questions and your doubts? What if you had the courage to ask the hard questions and the courage to accept the answers you found? What if you had a community with whom you could explore your real questions and doubts and had somebody who you could be open and honest with as you searched together? What if we all could create an environment where our kids could ask their big questions when they come? See, will we always get a perfect answer to everything we want to know? No, but we will discover something better. See, in our questions, we'll discover a God who loves and invites us to truly know him, who loves us and invites us to truly know him. It's a lot like a friend of mine who had a lot of questions, but was actually willing to dig and was patiently searching through. She wrote me, with all of the confusion, I think what I'm hearing is Jesus loves me and he wants me just as I am, where I am. Even if I'm scared, maybe terrified to trust God, even if I can only give a little piece of me, and if I can learn to trust him more, if I'm following him, offering my life daily, willing to continue to seek truth, then whatever I'm not interpreting correctly, whatever I'm doing that might be something he doesn't want for me, he will correct. He'll teach me the correct ways. And because no one ever has it all figured out, if and when I die, while still in process, he'll still love me and want me and will finish whatever transformation didn't happen here on earth, in heaven, because he'll want me there too. If I'm seeking him, seeking truth, even while I'm falling apart and wrestling with everything else in life, he'll work out the rest. To which I yelled, yes, that is it. That is exactly who Jesus is. And so ask your questions, search, dig, explore, because when we are willing to explore our questions and doubts, we discover a God we can trust. And we can trust him even when we don't know all the answers. This is put out by Cross Creek Community Church. We are a church physically located in Salem. We meet at Gateway Foursquare Church on Idlewood Drive on the second and fourth Sundays of the month. We hope you have a fabulous, fabulous May, and we'll see you soon. There was a man, a nan. Yeah. There was a man named Nicodemus. Told you. A Jewish... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Are you good? <laughs> Tell them I told you. <laughs> I told you there was a man named Nick. I told you that was his name. <laughs> there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you weren't gonna be able to get through it. <laughs> told you. Told you. <laughs> okay. <laughs>